and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our marriage sermon series. Thank you for listening. If you have a Bible, if you'll find Ephesians chapter 5, uh, that's where we'll be in a few minutes. Um, a couple things to do before we get there. Uh, Brandy, thank you. That was great. She's in the back. She's waving. She's still excited. So, um, man, it is, it is a joy anytime we get to, man, get all wet and baptismal and, um, man, and just, just seeing what the Lord is doing is so encouraging. Um, Next Sunday, uh, we will have communion in this, in, this, uh, in this space, both 9 and 10.30. Man, I pray you'll be here for that. Um, and then uh, after the service, after the second service next Sunday, uh, we are having our summer kickoff. We did this last year. It's a good time. We hung out outside. So basically, we'll rent a couple of inflatables. Um, you, Mr. Arnold, whoever, can, can wear their trunks and go swimming. Uh, man, we're asking you to bring some sides and desserts. We're going to provide a ton of chicken and ice cream. So maybe not desserts, just sides. You can plug up a crock pot, whatever you want to do. It's our summer kickoff. So whether you've been here a bunch, you've never been here before, you're invited back next week. We'd love to have you come and eat with us, hang out after the service together. Um, man, it's just a way to build community, get to know one another. Um, I'm trying to think of another way to rope you in. So we'll buy the chicken. And if you listen, if you show up next week, you forget and you don't bring food. Let me just say this now. Don't go home. Like, just stay. There'll be plenty of food. I said that in the first service, and several ladies I know are already cooking were like, yes, there will be. So, man, come ready to eat next week and hang out, build community, uh, and let your kids go absolutely nuts. And then listen, by the time you get home, two or three, maybe they'll be tired for a nap. So it um, might work to your benefit. So, man, yesterday I, um, I was uh, part of a, officiating a funeral, I guess you might say, there was a man named Curtis McClellan. I have the, the note that they handed out in the front of my Bible. Uh, passed away uh, yesterday. Curtis, his wife, Michelle, and his mom, uh, Miss McClellan, uh, who is 103 years old, we're pretty sure, uh, came to our Good Friday service, took a picture over here. They came to Easter two years ago uh, under the tent. Um, Curtis is a member of Fruit Cove Baptist Church, and 10 years ago, he was, uh, he had, uh, he was found out he had a brain tumor um, and that he was going to be given uh, about a year to live, is what I've been told, and he lived for 10 more years. And last weekend, uh, he went to sleep in the mountains in his mountain house and didn't wake up and went on to be with the Lord. And at the funeral yesterday, they were sharing about two people, about the, the Curtis before uh, the brain tumor and the Curtis after. They called them Curtis A and Curtis B. And apparently, uh, Curtis B, the man that uh, had uh, cancer and the brain tumor, was a different man, loved the Lord after those last 10 years of his life. And what you don't know about Curtis that I know is that Curtis actually grew up in the brick house behind our chapel. And Curtis, um, man, was baptized in this baptismal. We just baptized someone in. Uh, and he grew up, as, in big part, man, helping his parents clean this building when it was First Baptist Ortega. And for the last 10 years or so, up until uh, we took over here, Curtis prayed that ministry would come here, that, the, that salvation would come here again. And over the last couple of years, he has been one of our biggest cheerleaders, honestly, as, as a church. We probably need to name something after him in very Baptist lore, but just been a cheerleader in every way, even to the point of, I didn't know this until yesterday, but uh, Pastor Tim at Fruit Cove, where Curtis is a member, said that for the last two years, instead of tithing to his home church, Curtis has been sending his tithe to us. And I think they're a little salty about that. And so, but beyond that, at the end of the service. Um, I was brought up to say a little bit about Refuge, Curtis's quote-unquote favorite church, uh, and to offer a prayer. And, and when I did, uh, right before I 
got to do that. Pastor Tim said at the end of the service today, if you want to do something in honor of Curtis, uh, what we would ask you to do, both Curtis and Michelle, we'd ask for you to write a check or do something financially for Refuge Church, a church trying to get their legs under them. And I just, I, I share that. I don't have a major Bible point other than to say, man, there is something about a man who is not here, he's with Christ, and he's still, man, pouring into the kingdom of God, seeing those, man, pray, place faith in Christ. And I just want to share that with you. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to share his story in a better way down the road, but, man, quite a legacy uh, in, in so many ways. So, uh, man, thanks for putting up with that. If you're in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, that's where we'll be in a couple of minutes. Um, man, how's the 31-day prayer in Scripture going? I know it's caused a few fights. I got a few texts about it. Anybody else doing well? Anybody following along? It's midway. Okay, tomorrow will be day 16, so if you've missed all 15 days, you can jump back in. If this is your first Sunday, at the beginning of our marriage series, which we started two weeks ago, just for the month of May, we made a card with a Scripture reading and just an opportunity to see uh, man, couples man, man, pray together and connect together. And so, Today and then two more weeks, we're going to continue talking about prayer. We're opening God's Word and asking God to teach us about marriage. I told you to mark three passages in Scripture, Genesis chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 6, and Ephesians 5. And in a little bit, we'll be in Ephesians 5, kind of part two again today. I said mark these in your Bible, read them, follow along. But as we said from the beginning, and even before we started the series, uh, this series is for everyone because of all of God's Word is for everyone no matter what season of life you're in. I have no doubt, and I know there have been single, not married people here listening that are part of our family at Refuge, some who desire marriage, some who might feel like they're past marriage, some who are unsure about marriage and their future. But we've said for two weeks that marriage is mission. I would also tell you, listen, if, if, if you are in a place of singleness, singleness is also a mission God has called you to. And I know there are people in our church who a series on marriage might be a turnoff. But I would just encourage you to hang on. Man, 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 all of God's word is for all of God's people, so hang on. And also next week, we're going to put out some content around uh, singleness, but, but we're not trying to get you to date, to be very clear. I don't know how to do that. I didn't do it well before, and so I, the last thing I want to do is encourage you to do it the way I did it. But let me say this. If you're not married for whatever reason the Lord has given you this time, I really believe, hear me, man, intentionally to walk closer with him. To be able to serve him maybe in ways that if you were married, you might not be able to. And, and maybe even give me some grace here. I believe the Lord often gives us man, seasons of singleness to go on mission. Man, no matter your age or stage, I would strongly encourage you to pray about going off for a season. Man, man, going and taking the gospel where it's not. And also to those who are not married, Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you're more like him, even able to do more ministry. So there'll be more on that next week, but I just want you to know you're, you're not left out of this as we talk about marriage. Um, I don't know where you were on April 5th, 2003, but I, I know where I was. I've shared this story a bunch. You're going to get here at a bunch. Um, but it's the day that Beth and I got married, 19 years and some change ago. Uh, we were at Kaioki Baptist Church, which is the oldest Baptist, Southern Baptist Church in the nation. Um, and that day at 2 p.m., um, the, the, we, they had a center aisle and everything was decorated and there were flowers and candles and somebody chimed the bells. And, and when they chimed them, they opened the back doors and then the song by Mercy Me, I Can Only Imagine, uh, those few little licks on the piano were hit if you know the song. And uh, a friend of mine, pastor of mine named Wes began to sing. And as he began to sing, Beth began to make her way kind of around the corner and down the aisle with her grandfather and her father. And as they slowly made their way down the aisle, I started crying. And I wish I could tell you it was that cry that looks really nice in pictures later where there's just like a tear, right? 
But it was the ugliest cry from a 260-pound man you've ever seen. It was like I, I could not control myself. I, I, I don't get nervous a lot. I don't get intimidated a lot, those kind of things. But in that situation, I lost it. Remember, she gets about halfway down, and I'm like buckling. I'm like, and there's like, and, and I got to that place where my nose began to run because I was crying so much, and I did this move, right, because I thought it would help, which only always makes it worse. But you can't blow your nose in front of a church full of people. Like, what do you do? She gets to me. And I remember her grandfather, who was a, a railroad man for like, that felt like 150 years, probably 70 years, just looked at me like, what's wrong with you, son? Or that look he had on his face. And I was like, I'm sorry, you know. And, and I looked at her, her dad, and he kind of had the same look. And, and I looked at Beth, and she even kind of had the same look. Like, they had never seen me act that way. And, and they did the whole exchange. Who takes this man, uh, man and this woman to be this, you know, the whole thing? And I reached up and grabbed him. Like, we walked forward. And I'm still kind of, and as I, I remember, as she grabbed my arm, I was like, like, I just, it kind of happened again. And there's more tears and, 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 and fluid from my nose. And, and I was like, what is happening? And, and my, my youth pastor and, and mentor is doing the wedding. And so, he gets everyone seated, he mutes his mic, and he leans over and goes, clean yourself up, man, you know, and, and so I, he goes, I'm going to pray, and so he begins to pray, and, and so I don't pray, I pulled my hanky out and just like started wiping everything I could wipe, and I get done, and we press on into the wedding, and we get to the vows, we had chosen to, to, to write our own vows to one another, which sounded like a great idea until we stood there that day and actually did it, um, but what I remember about that is uh, Jonathan hands me the, the handwritten note of, of paper that I had written, and so I grab it. And I'm shaking as he hands it to me. And he just kind of cut his eyes at me like, what is, what is happening to you, you know? And, and then I took the note, and, um, and I'm shaking, and I end up dropping it, so I had to pick it up. Just, just, just I mean, that, that was kind of our ceremony. But at the same time, and we had been real intentional with our ceremony. We, we had uh, chosen a song, It's Not About Me, this, this powerful song, early 2000s, Passion had sang. And uh, we had another song sang in the wedding, I don't recall. We had Hebrews 12 and Romans 12 read, and we really wanted our wedding day to be a presentation of what we believed about the gospel, that Jesus was, in fact, better. And we did our best to do so. We have a lot of family that didn't know Christ, and a lot of friends would be there that didn't know Christ, and so we wanted our wedding to be a reflection of Christ's love for us, and we get all through, and we go to the reception. I remember standing in the fellowship hall, which this old historic church didn't allow us to dance, so we bitterly just stood there, you know, like this, and uh, some, some people came over, and they said, hey, um, uh, some friends we knew really well, he walked over and said, I, I don't know what that was. That was incredible. Could we talk about what we just experienced in that song when you guys get back from your honeymoon? And we had this moment of, man, the Lord really used all of Josh's sniffling and, and tears, but more importantly, man, the gospel that was presented to leave a mark. And as you think on that, here, here's the question I have for you this morning. Man, when you think about marriage, what do you think of? When you think about even an ideal marriage, what do you think of? When you think about how you have framed your marriage or what has influenced your marriage or what will, what do you think of? Many people think of their parents. Many people don't want to think of their parents. Many people think of couples who did it well. I think of Bernie and Darlene who, who have man, just exhibited such faithfulness and endurance together. Um, continue to pray for Bernie. He's in rehab now. Um, man, I think about as well, uh, man, fear, feeling incomplete. Maybe marriage is not what you expected. Man, I made the comment a few weeks ago that marriage has been hallmarked to death. Think about with me, if you will, TV marriages for a moment. Um, I knew some of these. I didn't know the others. I used Google just so we're all clear. Um, Monica and Chandler. Does anybody know who this is? I saw a few smiles. Okay. Uh, I, had to, I had to Google that one. Uh, Homer and Marge. 
I knew that one. I'm just going to be honest as your pastor, okay? I knew it from a while back, but I knew it, okay? Uh, ben and Leslie, anybody? Any Parks and Rec fans in the house? All right, so. Uh, didn't know this one, Corey and Topango. I said it wrong on purpose. Okay, Tori, Corey and Topanga. I kind of knew it. I just didn't want to admit I knew it. So, um, <laughs> Philip and Vivian. Where are we at? Anybody? Fresh Prince? Okay, all right, all right. Uh, Randall and Beth? Didn't know this one. Okay, there it is. This is us. Mike and Carol. There it is. Kick it back a little bit. Brady Bunch, that's right. So, uh, so one couple who actually never married, but are probably the most famous TV couple of all time, uh, Sam and Diane. Anybody? Cheers. Yeah? Kind of hate each other. Shouldn't probably follow or emulate them in any way. But then the greatest marriage of all time, the one we all emulate all of our marriages after, uh, Jim and Pam Halpert, uh, who currently live in Philadelphia, where he leads a ministry. No, I'm kidding. So listen, um, uh, man, but, but here's, here's kind of the point of that. We are deeply influenced Man, man, think about just in that moment, we are deeply influenced around the ideas of marriage by others. We look at the way others do marriage, whether real or fake, do we not? We look at our parents and we go, I don't want to do that or I do want to do that. We look at grandparents or older people we know and go, man, they were married 80 years, but they hated each other. Do I want that? We also look at others and go, wow, look how they hold hands and they, and they do this. I was thinking about this couple in the church that I grew up in, old, old, old couple, like they look like up and... And I can remember being in high school looking back, and every time we sang a hymn, he would reach over and grab her hand, and they would sing together. I just, that is just still stuck in my soul. Man, but we are deeply influenced by the ideas and, and ideals even of marriages of, of those around us. I even think when you think about these sitcom marriages, man, how often all these have these major conflicts that are all resolved in 30 minutes, which is not a picture of marriage ever. You can't even get to the fight in 30 minutes normally, can you? And most of the time, whether real life or TV, we don't see the hard parts of marriage exposed. Just the good, hallmarky parts that look beautiful to the world and others around us. Marriage is a glorious stumble. It is beautiful and good and hard and rocky, Tim Keller says. Listen, Friday night, uh, we got home from date night. If you missed it, you missed it. But we get in the bed, and like two hours later, we hear a sick kid upstairs. We go upstairs. And, and I just remember getting back in bed after everything was settled. It's, it's basically Saturday at that point. And we had, I remember thinking this thought, i got to be nice to Beth tomorrow and I'm not getting any sleep. Like, I just remember that thought. I like my wife. I want to be nice to her. But if you know, you know. If you have kids, you know what this is like. Man, marriage sanctifies. Marriage makes us better. Marriage makes us holy. Marriage gives us a companion to walk and do life with. What is your marriage a reflection of? What does your marriage point to? And does it point to how awesome you two are as a couple? Does it point to how Instagram worthy your family is? Then does your marriage point to a couple you're just trying to emulate? Does it point to your favorite TV marriage? So we've said for two weeks the aim or the purpose of marriage is oneness. This is Genesis 2. This is the end of Ephesians 5. Oneness that glorifies God. But here's what I want to tell you today, just really simple, and the whole point of the message today is this. That Christian marriage should point to the beauty of Christ. Really, what we see in Ephesians 5 is Paul saying that in the end, like the church points and should point to the beauty of Christ, marriage should point to the beauty of Christ. And hear me, that doesn't mean it should be so perfect and you guys should get along so well. That's not what it's saying. It's saying in the good and the bad, the hard and the struggle, the forgiveness and the grace, man, the sin 
and men drawing in reconciliation, that in all those things, that marriage should point to the beauty of Christ. Listen, in the home, if you have or are blessed with children one day, there are children that are looking at you, and I believe with all my heart, the greatest influence on your children in a married home will be a spouse that love each other because they love Christ first. That's going to tell them more about the gospel than anything else ever will. Your marriage can't be one way and then bring them to church and try to teach them a different way. Marriage points to the beauty of Christ in the church, and it points to the beauty of the Christ in here together. There's encouragement. I tell you, I still think on that older couple holding hands to this day. Marriage points to the beauty of Christ in the community, who you're around, neighbors, coffee shops. Marriage points to the beauty of Christ in the lives of others. Marriage points to the beauty of Christ in the lives of the lost that are around us. Listen, we live in a culture of lost people, and we live in a culture that really just believes less and less that marriage is important. And let me just say this. I don't know who this is for, but marriage points to the beauty of Christ. Hear me, in the workplace. How you talk about, think about, and display your marriage is important. Hear me. This is so important to get. Not that perfect marriage points to the beauty of Christ, but Christian marriage rooted in Christ, rooted in the word, rooted in oneness, points to Christ. I would argue there is a perfect marriage. Perfect marriage is two imperfect people, sinners, living together in what the Bible says is an understandable way. Fighting, yet offering forgiveness. Arguing, yet reconciling. Do you know that one of the greatest things your kids can see you do is fight and then reconcile? If you don't teach them how to reconcile, they're never going to believe in reconciliation. Disagreeing yet compromising, coming together, not solely out of love for each other, but also because of your love for Christ. Christian marriage points to the beauty of Christ. And the mission of marriage is that, to point to the beauty of Christ. Look at verse 24 with me. This is where we left off. And if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back. We talked about submission, but a big part of what we talked about is there's a break between 21 and 22 in our Bible, right? A lot of our Bibles have like a break or a gap there, as if Paul like wrote a different letter later. But really, there shouldn't be a gap. Really, verse 21 is kind of a transition verse to keep going into verse 22. So we have to read all of this in context. And he's really saying, if you're going to live by the spirit, this is what that life looks like. So you back up to 17. What does it look like to live by the spirit? Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine. That is debauchery. But what? Be filled with the spirit. How? Part of that is you address one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what it says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We get all in our feelings about the fact that it's about to say, wives, submit to your husbands. And we miss that, man, most of this section is written to the husbands. This impossible task that we're about to read. And that it starts off with submission to one another. But he's going to say in 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church, look at verse 24, submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything to their husbands. I want you to hear, this is where we left off last week, verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, wives submit to your husbands in everything. Hear me, this is where we begin to see Christian marriage pointing to the beauty of Christ. You, you, if you hear all of this, it'll make it, and if you don't, you're going to get lost. Wives, this submission thing that we talked about last week is hard. And here, write this down. Here's why. Ready? Because men are sinners. 
Like, write that in your Bible. My husband is a sinner. It is really good for you to know that. And that makes submission hard because it means you know they're junk. Here's another way to say that. They aren't worthy of being followed. They're not worthy of following. But hear me. But Christ in them is worthy of following. Do you see the difference? It's one thing to say follow. It's another thing to say I'm following Christ in them. So in following the lead of your husbands as they submit to Christ, don't miss that, as they submit to Christ, you point to the beauty of Christ, saying, not that my husband is worthy, but that Christ is worthy. He can truly redeem all. Jesus can. He is truly worthy of being trusted. And do, do, do you see that? It's not that your husband is totally worthy of following and sinless because he's not, but it's that Christ in them is worthy of following. So in following the lead of your husbands as they submit to Christ, you're pointing to the beauty of Christ. Verse 25. As we begin to read this, I want you to watch the overlap between Jesus and his love for the church and how spouses should love one another. There's an intermingling or an overlap here. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I would argue... And I would contend that this is much harder than submission. You may have to submit to a sinner, but he has to be like Jesus. And to love someone as much as Jesus did, I don't know about you. I, I, I don't know that I'm, it's possible for me to do that. To give up your life, your desires, your earthly pleasures for them. That's the call here. Look what it says. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Meaning when there's one K-cup left, and it's five in the morning, you're not splitting it, just so we're clear. You're giving yourself up for them and still being kind, right? Like this is, but this is the command, gave himself up for her. I mean, on days uh, I do this, and on days I fail, on some days I choose to serve, and some days I don't, but in the end, this is about denying myself for my spouse. And hear me, when we are willing, husbands, when you're willing to deny yourself for your spouse, in that moment, you're pointing to the beauty of Christ. And you know who's most encouraged? Your spouse. Because on my own, I am unable to do this consistently. And, and there can be days where I can work really hard and I can grind it out, but in the end, I'm going to fall. But the Lord can work through me to move me more and more in this direction daily. But please hear me. On days I do this, though often I will fail, on days I choose to serve, to deny myself for my spouse, I point to the beauty of Christ. Verse 26, look what it says, that he might sanctify her. Then there's a how, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It says that he might sanctify her. Part of the role of the husband is to guide his wife, his family, his home, men towards sanctification, which is what Christ does for us. Listen, I know we're in 2022, and I know some of this doesn't preach well, but man, if you miss that this is Christ in you, and you just think by sheer will and power, you're going to miss this whole thing. Like, Beth doesn't look at me and go, I want to follow you, Josh. She goes, I want to follow Christ in you. When you're submitted, I'm drawn in. When you're not, I'm kind of bucking at that really hard. Like, if I went home, this is how we think of submission, I think. I think we think of it like this, so give me some grace. Hey, Beth, I set up this little desk in the living room, and I set up a chalkboard. In a little while, I'm going to teach you systematic theology 
you, go sit down. Like, this is how we think that this reads sometimes because of how some fools have preached it. If I ever did that, my wife would walk out, she would come here, put a note on the church like Martin Luther and go, don't come back to this place. Like, that's not what Paul has in mind. Not only that, she's smarter than me, and I believe with all my heart she loves the Lord more than I do. So I'd be a fool to do that. Rather, I go, hey, baby, man, the Lord has done this in my life, this in our heart. I think this is where the Lord's leading. What do you think? And here's the thing that I know. The Holy Spirit speaks more clearly to my wife than any other person, place, or thing on earth, it seems like. That he might sanctify her. And part of the role of the husband is to guide his wife towards sanctification, which is what Christ does for the church. And the only way to do that is by over and over pointing her back, pointing him back to the beauty of Christ, which is the gospel. That Christ died for you, that you're a sinner, and Christ died in your place so that now you have right standing with God. Uh, an old preacher named J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, there is a tremendous relief in knowing that his love for me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. And think if your spouse already knew prior the worst about you. But this is the gospel that God doesn't just know the past. He knows What's coming worst about us and still chooses to love us? The beauty of Christ is seen in the gospel, and the beauty of Christ is seen in his love for me, ready, at my worst. Which is why when we go back to Genesis 2 and 3, if you miss that, when Adam and Eve covered up, they were covering up in front of each other. They were hiding their what they believe would be their worst, rather than being one and going, here's who I am. There's something about being known in every way that I am the good and the bad, and someone on earth still going, I still love you. I still choose to love you. Because it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of Christ's love for us. The beauty of Christ is seen in two married sinners moving more and more towards daily sanctification, not pursuing perfection. And then there's a how. I mean, how, look what it says. Sanctify her by having cleansed her with the washing of the word. Man, he, he doesn't leave that out. Man, we are cleansed. We move towards sanctification through the word of God. If the word of God is not in your marriage and not in your life, sanctification will struggle, will lack there. And the reason we gave that reading, God, is to push you together towards Scripture. we got to keep going. Verse 17, 27, excuse me. So that he might present. Look, so, so that he might sanctify. What's the next one? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. There's a shift, isn't there? Why are we talking about the church? We were talking about marriage. Again, there's, a, there's kind of an intermingling there. So that he might present the church to himself. Look what it says. In splendor, without spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Anybody looked in the mirror later and go, where did that wrinkle, that line, that thing come from? Like, like he's saying he doesn't see those things because of Christ in us. Jesus sanctified the church so that he might present her to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or anything. That she might be holy and without blemish, through Christ alone. The only perfect marriages are the marriages that are rooted in the gospel. I would argue the only marriages on earth that will work are those that are rooted in the gospel. And the only, that only Christ and in Christ are we declared perfect, good, and made holy. Marriage that lives this out are marriages that over and over point back to the beauty of Christ. Listen, if you don't know this, I'll tell you now. Your spouse or future spouse is going to sin. They're going to fail. They're going to disappoint. And only when I see that same sin in me am I able to forgive them. And if I walk in in this self-righteous, look at what they've done, 
and I miss my own sin, I'll never be able to forgive them. So don't expect your spouse to be something without Christ that they are not without Christ. Holy. We are not a holy people. But Christ has declared us as holy because he is holy and has imparted his holiness to us. And it is marriages that are rooted in the gospel that point to the beauty of Christ. Verse 28, in the same way husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, meaning I see us as one. Meaning I'm moving us in the same direction, the same aim, the same purpose. A marriage that points to the beauty of Christ. Verse 29, for no one, and hey fellas, this is the, you got to get this. For no one has ever hated his flesh. There's two words here, nourishes and cherishes. Just as Christ does the church. I would say that's just a little hint from Paul as to what your, what your wife might be looking for. I might be wrong. Man, but how are you nourishing and how are you cherishing your wife's love for Christ? Not her love for you. You're not that great, okay? Just so you're clear. How are you nourishing and cherishing your wife's love for Christ? Man, if, if the Lord, this, this works in ours. I don't know if this will work for your girl, but like if the Lord speaks through, uh, man, his word to me and, and I, like, I get a verse, I'm going to write that verse down, put it on an index card and give it to her. Just a little thing that I'm hoping will cause her to nourish and cherish, man, Christ a little more. Man, if, if the Lord speaks to me through a song, first one that gets that is Beth. That J.I. Packer quote I read earlier, first person that heard that from me was Beth. Because I want to go back to her, man. I want to I come alongside her. I want to put good books, good music, and good things in her life that nourish and cherish her love for Christ. Listen, some of you fellas may not be doing that well. Can I just say that's okay? Your wife may not say that. I'll say that, but you can start today. You can even ask them, how can I do that, honey? I'm sorry, I haven't done that well. How can I moving forward? And, 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 and to the honeys, that's not your role to go, hey, you should be doing more of that. It's your role to go, hey, Lord, would you lead in such a way through your spirit, through him, that he begins to do that? Because that's where that's going to take place. Men, nourish our souls, nourish your spouse's souls. Cherish your love for Christ will cause you to cherish your spouse's love for Christ. These are what Christ does for us. He nourishes us. He cherishes us. Men, he, the husbands, this is your practical thing. And when you take on this practical nourish and cherish, you begin to point her back to the beauty of Christ. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. Do you realize that, that really that, what that's saying is in Christ, I'm not just accountable to myself, but to my wife, my kids, and my church. Verse 31, therefore, and here it is again, father shall leave, excuse me, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And he's, he's talking about that overlap. What Christ, listen, did for the church is intended to also be displayed in marriage. So as the church points to the beauty of Christ for all to see, which is our role. Hey, let me show you how beautiful Christ is. Not about the music or the preaching or the thing or the ice cream or the kid stuff. It's about the beauty of Christ. Can you see Jesus here? Like That's our point. If we stop doing that, we're no longer doing what we're supposed to do. As a church points to the beauty of Christ for all to see, then hear me, marriage is also to point to the beauty of Christ for all to see. First inwardly to your spouse and then outwardly for everyone to see. Inwardly meaning each other. You have the privilege of displaying the beauty of Christ and the gospel to the one whom God has given you as a spouse. What a gift and what a calling. Which means my walk with Jesus matters. My prayer life matters. My personal holiness matters. My believing the gospel daily matters. 
My willingness to forgive matters. My willingness to be kind matters. My willingness to give grace matters. My willingness to speak kindly to my spouse matters. The willingness to get up with kids so they can rest matters. My willingness to pray for them matters. My willingness to make coffee for them matters. My willingness to let them choose their favorite restaurant, movie, or TV show, even when they don't care, right, matters. My efforts in my marriage matters. My vows matter. Man, and, and what we do and how we function within our marriage matters because it points to the beauty of Christ inwardly and then outwardly for others, which means how I speak about my spouse in public matters. How I speak to them in public matters. How I think about them matters. How I talk about marriage matters. Do you know one of the most heartbreaking things is as I do marriage counseling, about half the couples that walk in say, everybody tells us marriage sucks. We've got to change that. Having the belief that other people are looking at my marriage matters. Having the belief that other people have the opportunity to see the beauty of Christ in our marriage matters. And the realization that my children have the opportunity to see the beauty of Christ in my marriage matters. How I treat my spouse matters. Hear me. Here's, here's what I would leave you with. Man, suffering, poverty, loss, shame, hardship are nowhere near as damaging to a child seeing the beauty of Christ as a marital testimony that doesn't point to the beauty of Christ. It would better than be poor and hungry, but see the beauty of Christ. And Christian marriage points to the beauty of Christ. So let me conclude with this. This is why one of our values is discipleship starts at home. Because those little ones that are at home are watching. And then the most powerful time in their life is watching from when they begin to nurture at age zero. As they grow up, man. I just, I think on this a lot, and then I'll finish. About 12, 13 years ago, I, I got let go at the church I was working at. Nothing weird happened. You can talk to the elders on my end, but no job, no severance, no money. My wife didn't stay at home. She worked from home, okay, but her salary wasn't huge. It was zero. And so all of a sudden, I'm home, and she's home, and there's no money, no future. We don't know what the Lord is doing. And I will tell you to this day, I believe that those seven or eight months that I didn't have a job... My wife just tried to encourage me. She tried to come alongside me. She tried to build me up. Never once did she say, you're a failure for not being able to provide. And I believe that my kids who have expressed faith in Christ, I believe the reason they have is because of her faithfulness in that season was probably the most powerful testimony to them. And not because I was worthy of standing beside, but because her love for Christ was that strong. I'm going I'm to trust the Lord in this. To point to the beauty of Christ is anything, if anything, excuse me, it's worship. Therefore, Christian marriage is an exercise in worshiping Christ. Your marriage exalts Christ every time you forgive, every time you extend grace, every time you choose to build up rather than tear down, every time you choose to brag on your spouse, and you should often, every time you're kind, every time you read scripture together, every time you pray together, even on date nights. I'd like to pray for you now, um, if you'd let me. Um, so we move into a time of just been singing. So God, we pray for our marriages. Lord, we're fools if we don't believe that the enemy is coming and trying to attack and tear down. God, would you give us, uh, give us eyes for our wives and husbands, eyes for our spouses. God, would you keep us pure and holy? God, would you draw us together? God, would you help us to not fight each other, Lord, but to fight the enemy? Would you help us to see the opportunity to point our spouse to Christ? 
and the beauty of Christ and to point the world and all those who would see us to Christ through our marriage. God, would you help us to see that marriage isn't about our happiness, but it's about our holiness. It is about our completion, Lord, but it's about you being glorified. And, and man, as you sit there, I don't know where you are in all this. I just want to give you a moment to pray. Maybe you need to take your spouse's hand and pray together and sing together in a minute. Maybe you need to, man, maybe you're praying for a spouse. Maybe, I don't know where you are. I just want to give you a moment to pray the things the Lord is praying on, laying on your heart. Christ, would you be exalted in our marriages? God, we need you and we love you. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church Podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.